Welcome back to Overtones. I'm your host, Shahzeb, and I'm here as a purveyor of the Clash magazine experience. Spotlighting artists and the creatives working behind the scenes in music, fashion and film, journalistic integrity is at the core of what we do here. Episode 1 and 2 of Overtones are in the archive. A reflection on 2021 in music, a prelude to what this year has to offer in terms of new artists, and a festival preview. Our first print issue of the year is on newsstands and online via The Clash shop. You can also raid previous issues of the magazine, so many collectible issues, with the most fascinating voices in music at your disposal. We have a steady stream of content across our platforms at Clash Magazine on Twitter, Instagram, and a newly launched TikTok. A new episode of our Decoded interview series has just been unveiled with an artist who's built a stunning campaign around a body of work that speaks to what it means to be young, gifted, but ultimately shunned by the institutions meant to insulate us. I'm talking about Jeshi, who joined me on the sofa to dissect his record, Universal Credit. You can find that on our revived YouTube channel alongside previous decoded episodes, in addition to the DJ series For the Love of It, created alongside Pioneer DJ, where we invite fuzzy DJs into the studio to share their stories and curate guest mixes. Our YouTube also houses the Amplify series with deep dives and performances filmed at our Clash studios, created by Virtue Social in partnership with Clash. Think of it as an incubator for emerging new voices in music. As ever, I need to emphasize the Clash site, clashmusic.com. Our editor, Robin Murray, does an incredible job commissioning pieces, mixes, topical features, and profiles. His finger is forever on the industry pulse. In this series so far, you've heard and will continue to hear the voices that make the Clash team. I'm coaxing these figures out from the shadows and giving them their time to shine. Coinciding with the festival discussion from episode two of the podcast and the emphasis on club culture this episode, our special projects assistant, Louis Torresinter, provided a primer, a can't-miss dance and club musical festivals in the UK and beyond. You can peep the full feature over at clashmusic.com, a well-compiled listicle of 2022 communal events. We have Louis with us now. Welcome, Louis. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm how's good. Your, how's your weekend? It was good. Very quiet. Yeah. Lots of pollen. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, if you central where I live. Really? Um, yeah. So you're well-versed on the festival scene. We've heard reports from Primavera having a chaotic start, overcrowding. Yeah. Do you see it? Like the, one of the stages just broke down as well. Like the, I think, I can't remember which one, but it just fell. <laughs> I mean, I, I read about the chaos. So, I mean, we were reporting it at Clash, but I think they've now kind of recovered. But we've seen sort of overcrowding and organization being kind of disadvantages. What's your assessment on what festivals are having to contend with in a post-pandemic world? I ask you because uh, in some of your work already, you've been looking closely and assessing kind of what's happening out there on the live music scene. Um, I, think it's, I think it's a mixture of things. That, and it really depends that like, you know, the kind of size of the festival. So something of Primavera size, it's a bit different to the small kind of independent festivals because I think they have a lot of attention on them. Um, and I, I think this this year what happened is they probably felt that they were going to come back with a bang um, and they might have just either oversold tickets or changed whoever was organizing it or something. Um, and, you know, whoever was in charge of the production or, you know, it's, it's really easy to kind of think that everything's going to go smoothly with festivals. And I think mm. it's quite quite quickly stuff can kind of go wrong and then a lot of stuff goes wrong at the same time 
Um, so this, you know, it's not the first festival that, you know, you run into these sorts of issues. Um, but in general, coming out of, of COVID, it's, um, it's, it's really tough because I think there's been a sort of a ticket slowdown. Um, in general, people are kind of buying less tickets, especially in the UK. I think there's a multiple issues to deal with between the, the cost of living crisis. Um, so people just have less cash. And uh, alongside that, people, you know, last year they weren't able to travel as much. So, you know, if you've got a, a person with, with the money to go to something or, you know, enjoy themselves, they might decide to just, you know, go to Greece, go to France, go to Spain instead of, instead of um, sticking in the UK. And then I think you also um, have a lot of the, the public themselves that might not have come back to festivals. If they were kind of an older person, they might be worried about going to, you know, some really crowded event or the young people that, you know, if you were 16, 17, 18, uh, right when COVID hit, it's possible you've never even been to a festival. Mm -hmm. And so you don't really know what the experience is like. And so um, you might never, you and your group of mates might not be as attracted to it. Um, so I think that confluence of factors means that um, the industry as a whole, alongside losing a lot of its really dedicated staff, um, a lot of people over the two years of COVID that were in the industry who had enormous amounts of talent and experience, which is really what you need for running these sorts of events, um, left because there was obviously nothing going on. Um, and they are, haven't always necessarily come back. So I think a lot of festivals are having staffing issues. So I'm not sure if that was the case at, at Primavera, but all of that means that you're kind of, and, and alongside that, you're also dealing with rising costs just you know for all the tents and the stages and all that stuff. So all of those factors together means that um, it's pretty difficult to run you know a smooth festival that you know either you undersell tickets and then you don't have enough money and you might run out of cash. A lot of festivals have, to, have had to cancel some of the smaller ones, even some bigger ones. Um, or, you know, you're kind of really worried, so you go, you know, super big, um, and then, you know, sometimes you might oversell, like maybe what happened with Pri with Primavera. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough out there. <laughs> You've been out and about yourself, so which gigs and events have you been to? What's impressed you? What not so much? Yeah, so I was just uh, over the Jubilee weekend, I was at um, Gala Festival, which uh, takes place in Peckham Rye here in London. Um, which was really fun. I mean, it's usually kind of one of the first London day festivals of the, the kind of season. Um, it's really for fans of, of like house and disco. And this year they added more kind of live acts, which I really enjoyed. So they had lots of jazz, um, got to see, you know, Jarman Jones, Mansour Brown, a lot of some clash favorites, um, uh, Coco Roco, who were amazing as well. It was really good. So those, those live, live bands were really sick. And then lots of, you know, DJs from the house and disco scene from London and, and beyond. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed that and I was um, happy that they, they invited us to come down. Um, but yeah, and then I've, what else have I been to? Um, Are you prepping a live report for that? Yeah, yeah, so that'll come out sometime. Maybe it's already come out by the time this podcast has come up. But mm. um, I sh Sorry, Louis, I should mention that we have like a regular conveyor belt of live reports online by an array of contributors, um, which I think is always fun. Always fun to see their takes. Um, what appeals to them musically, what, you know, festivals and events are doing right. Um, so, yeah, uh, just to signal you all to go to flashmusic.com and check out those pieces. Yeah. And then the other um, the other gig that stands out was uh, I was recently, I did a feature on a, a kind of hip hop collective from Hackney called uh, The Silhouettes Project. Mm -hmm. who were really, really sick. And uh, I went to their kind of return gig after a long period away from, you know, from shows because of COVID and stuff. And that was really fun. It was a big kind of community event loads of people there so um yeah those those were two standouts um but i'm looking forward i mean so, so like you said I, I wrote this this piece kind of doing a roundup and i was you know it's tough 
I, I at first I had like five and then I had six and then I was like, okay, maybe because normally we, for our lists we kind of keep stuff. I think eight is a good but round. Eight, eight, we ended number. up on eight, but I could have written, you know, like 15 probably mm -hmm. if I had really kind of expanded it. Um, there's just so much on. And I think actually since we were talking about the difficulties that festivals have, that might be a bit of another difficulty is the amount of competition, the actual like, you know, the, the scene may be even saturated potentially. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, there's so many options if you're if you're a music fan at the moment, which is amazing for us fans. I mean, you can just any day of the week, especially around here, you can find something amazing to see, but that means that for any given promoter or someone who's putting an event on, it's a bit more risky. Um, but yeah, for the, op the options uh, this summer are, are really incredible, especially for fans of really anything. I think a lot of the British UK scene is really exploding from all, from all sides. So, Louis, tell us about what you were doing pre-Clash. So what did you study at uni? What was your entry point into music? Do you DJ? Yeah, so um, I studied a really weird subject called human sciences, which is like a bit like biology and genetics and stuff. So really nothing to do with music. Um, and I really got into the music stuff. Uh, well, I was always a big music fan when I was like younger, but then um, I got into kind of running actually my own events uh, at uni with some mates. Um, and I kind of got elected into a position where I was you know, forced to put on constant social events like once a week that were basically like parties. Um, but they were like, we had a bit of money to, to, to do. And then some other friends kind of were the big, they were like the predominant kind of club promoters. So they ran these student nights that were quite quite popular. And so I kind of, around those circles, I got into kind of putting on events. Um, and then I ended up doing a kind of student festival, um, which was a, a lot of work, but it was really fun at the time. While I was still in uni, I, we did like a festival for like 800 people or a thousand people. Um, which was just a day thing, mostly student acts, um, which was a lot, uh, yeah, it was a big deal at the time and it was really stressful, but it worked out and it was really fun. And so from that, I was like, okay, I really like putting on events and it's good fun. I feel like this is what I want to do. And I was already a big music fan. So then I started working, I went from that to I applied and I worked for um, two festivals out in, in Croatia called Dimensions and Outlook Festival, which are quite well known for kind of fans of like techno, techno and drum bass and stuff. Um, and uh, so yeah, I worked worked out in Croatia for them for a couple of weeks, um, which was really fun. And then I was doing other kind of music writing bits and stuff. And that's, and I've also you know just bits and bobs of doing events in London and so on. So kind of through all of that, I had kind of enough experience that I came came to Clash and felt like I had something to contribute. I'm putting you on the spot. You've been with us a few months now, so you've been navigating editorial events, live music bits for the magazine. What was your expectation of what Clash would be and how has it measured up in reality? Um, I don't know. To be honest, I didn't have, uh, I didn't know a ton about Clash coming into it. I mean, I, when I applied for the job, obviously, I like, you know, looked at the magazine and so on. I had heard of it, but I had never, I didn't really know that much about kind of its history or uh, what the magazine looks like and so on. And then once I, I, I came, I, I you know, kind of saw the, the physical product, which is amazing, as you've talked about. Um, it's really collectible and it is I think it's really what I like about it as a magazine is it's something that's really unusual. I mean, it doesn't really there's not that many out there of these kind of like nice looking things to hold that uh, you know music magazines left. I think it's a thing that used to exist a lot more. But um, so the fact that Clash is still around and still doing it is great. But um, yeah, it's been great. I really like also that it's a, a relatively small team. I mean, we all kind of work together and it's a small team, but we actually put out so much mm. stuff that um, there's always jobs going and always stuff coming in 
um, and that really allows you know a variety of experience. So for someone like me who's kind of done a bit of writing, a bit of production, a bit of events, a bit of that, a bit of this, and who also is a fan of lots of different types of music, um, it's really nice because I can feel like I can kind of stretch out and be flexible. Um, whereas I think if I had just ended up working for like you know one specific promoter that was only doing one type of music or was just working for one management company that was just like doing these types of musicians um then i probably would have been more limited in what my like day-to-day -day job was so um that's what i really like about cash it's we're we're kind of spread thin but in a, in a nice way we're a team <laughs> yeah um i've seen you like i've seen firsthand you grow into your role as a writer and journalist so what excites you in and infuses you as a music writer what are some of the challenges you face as an interviewer um that's a good question i think what entices me is the ability to kind of and especially this is one thing that's nice about cash as well is that i can kind of almost pitch what i want to do and and i get a lot of flexibility in you know what are we going to take on what are we not going to take on you know what do we want to cover and so that um has allowed me to kind of bring in my own ideas um which you know robin our editor is really great at taking stuff in and he's he is just, indeed. um he's just you know he's always up for it really um anything that can that can contribute so um that that part of it is really nice to be able to kind of come in and then also i'm um, i'm also you know you guys send me sometimes to interview someone or or, or write or, or listen to something which i haven't listened to or you know you know occasionally you'll send me a whatsapp and be like are you a fan of x or y and i'm like uh, <laughs> uh never really heard of them but <laughs> um or like i've heard of them but i've never actually finally had time to kind of like get into it i should say um i did put you on the spot with a platform feature so platform is a digital series we have with platoon and they'll send us artists on their roster that we need to spotlight uh and it's it's quite i think it's quite a diverse array um it could be quite homegrown, but also international talent. Um, I need to, yeah, so I put you on the spot and I said, <laughs> you need to interview an artist, a very new artist. Yeah, as new, the, as new as it gets. Yeah, really. who has a quite interesting backstory. His name is Show Hustle. Yeah. So only one release so far on GRM Daily. Yeah, yeah, basically one, one single, although there's more music coming. More music coming, but he is... I guess your quintessential TikTok star. That's where his yeah yeah exactly his I mean, popularity comes from. How I, I mean, how was that interview? It was it was interesting because I, I we came in and um, it was like we didn't have a ton of information going in, so I was like, okay, I'm just gonna we're just gonna have a chat. And I think what's nice about a new artist, and I was talking to Robin about this as well, was that in some sense there's always something to talk about because no one's talked to them before. So mm -hmm. you know, if you're writing about I don't know if we're gonna cover like you know a, a big artist there's already x amount of coverage on it so um whereas if someone new anything goes really which i mean your nice. piece was i think the introduction yeah to it, it was really it was, in, a, in a press yeah, sense yeah i think it was i mean i kind of <laughs> it was more words written about him than his own management or pr had written about him to some degree yeah <laughs> um so, it was a challenge <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i had like no information going in but um we he, he came by and he was actually a really nice kid um maybe i shouldn't say kid he was a really nice guy um and uh yeah it, it turned out that he was from albania um and because i had asked him a bit about his background and his uh, i think his project is called child of an immigrant or son of an immigrant so that's the project that's forthcoming it's not out yet mm. um and i was curious about what what why he chose that title and you know is he the child of an immigrant and you know where from and so on um and he said he was from albania and I, it was actually a complete coincidence but i had just been to albania on a kind of uh, lads holidays sort of situation um <laughs> you're a globe-trotting journalist <laughs> yeah yeah um and so uh 
that was perfect because actually I had, you know, absorbed all these things about Albania, which is an amazing country. And, you know, I really enjoyed visiting and, and learning about it and learned some things about Albanian culture. And then we kind of connected over that, um, particularly that, that, you know, in Albania, they're very big on family. It's a really big aspect of mm. kind of what it means to be a, a culturally Albanian is this strong emphasis on the family community, the family unit. Um, and then, you know, we use kind of use that as a jumping off point to talk about, um, you know, his what his home life was like and how much, you know, he, he cares about his his home, his family um, and kind of how rapping is a conduit for them. So, um, yeah, it was a it was it was nice that we kind of had this jumping off point that we could kind of find something else. Common ground. Common ground. Yeah, yeah uh, that was lucky. If he was like, oh, I'm from. <laughs> I don't know, somewhere else I would have been like, okay. <laughs> so I mentioned your festival primer at the top of our conversation and also the platform piece. Uh, tell us about some of the other features you've been working on. Uh, what, can, what, what can we expect from you? I mean, what's your, what's your Clash highlight reel? Uh, my Clash highlight reel? Um, thus far. Thus far. I really think that Silhouettes Project piece, I don't know if anybody read it, but hopefully people did. Um, and it's... I don't know. I always felt really good because it was like I got to highlight a group of people that are really independent and um, are doing something that's very community minded. And it's really a collective in, in, the, in the, the real sense of the word. Um, and they are, you know, kind of introducing a kind of jazzy, soulful sound of hip hop to the UK rap scene, which is, you know, always been there, but maybe doesn't get as much attention. Um, and because it's based in Hackney, it's based out of Total Refreshment Center, which is this um, great, uh, also kind of very community-minded kind of venue recording space um, studio quite nearby to the Clash office. Um, it was nice to just really spend time with, you know, a group of artists that might not have had as much press attention just because they didn't have, you know, a, you know some big label or something backing them, but really was doing something quite interesting. Um, and also, in the end, had artists like um, Any. You know about Any? Yeah, so she started off with, with the Silhouettes Project um, so I think she started rapping like the first time she rapped was like in a set because they used to do these kind of open mic sessions where people mm. would come by and everyone they would kind of play live band or beats they would all kind of produce together and then these rappers they just invite anyone like that it was open door policy um, and I think uh, I'm, if I'm not mistaken Annie's first uh, experience really rapping or rapping with around other people was with the Silhouettes Project and now she's you know probably going to be a pretty big yeah star she's a star already for yeah. sure. Um, and so it shows that this kind of community stuff really works. And I don't, we didn't actually touch about that in the piece. We more talked about the importance of having space for growth and, you know, space in general uh, to kind of record and, and grow together. But um, yeah, it was just, that was a really nice piece. And I thought it, yeah, it worked out quite well. Um, and it was just a chance connection that I had through someone that um, someone tipped me off on it. And I was like, oh, that's a really cool thing to write about. And it, it worked out as a nice piece. But I've got, yeah, we've got stuff coming with, um, with uh, some other, maybe it'll be out by this point, but I'm speaking to, spoke to Giles Peterson, the radio DJ at um, Gala Festival, who's someone that I always admired quite a lot. So it was um, interesting to talk to him. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we're at the, by this point that this podcast is out, I'm sure I'll have other stuff that's already gone out. But <laughs> Yeah, no, there's more to come from Louis. And um, I think what's nice about sort of bringing on an array of assistants in different roles is the development side that, you know, me, the editor, and the head of production get to work on, like mentoring, developing. Yeah, yeah, you guys do a good job. Thank you, Louis. Thanks <laughs> for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you to Louis Torres-Sinter for joining me for the chat. Always nice to chat to members of the Clash team, a very diverse team. 
or contributors, creatives, visual artists, um, the unsung heroes. Now, this episode of Overtones takes a detour into the world of electronic music, spanning the continuum of club and bass music. We love a good musical duo, Lancashire's Adam Kay and George Townsend, known to the world as Bondax, actually provided a guest mix for Clash back in February. You can find that on clashmusic.com. I'm going to quote our editor, Robin Murray, who in his intro to the mix captures the unique synergy between them. Bondax have been driven by the love for the art, pilfering from a myriad of club tropes, as well as absorbing different forms of outsider music. Gaining widespread acclaim, the two began releasing music as teenagers before 2014's Bondax and Friends mix album put them firmly on the map. Bondax stepped away from the white heat of club culture, exploring other forms of music and different methodologies. This year they're back, having released a string of singles kicking off with a riveting I Only Have You, which features the vocals of Ibibio Sound Machine's Eno Williams, tapping into the energy of early house and primal disco. I Only Have You is a real mission statement from the production team. Now, our very own head of production, a man that helms this podcast, my perennial sidekick, Gary Jones, caught up with the duo before. Gary is a Bondax loyalist, having followed their genre-transcending trajectory since 2011. Here's how that conversation went down. I'm here in Brixton, SW9, on a not-so-glorious Saturday afternoon in May with a couple of guys who've been fixtures in my playlist from the SoundCloud era through to Spotify for roughly a decade ever since a track called Gold came through my headphones one night in 2013. Since then, whether it's dexterous production work or immersive DJ sets, you've blessed me with hours of escapism. Individually, it's Adam and George together your bond acts, and tonight you're here. For freedom, a feel-good house and disco day and night terrace party at Brixton Jam. How's it going, lads? What are we saying? Are we excited for tonight? Yeah, yeah, good. It's, uh, it's well, been mate. a bit since we were back here. Last time we played here, I was saying to you earlier, it was lockdown. Yeah, it was like it was like the, it was the first gig we'd done yeah. since the pandemic. Yeah, and it was like we everyone was sat down. And it was like the, the guys are like, "Don't get people dancing." They're well, like, it was illegal don't. to dance. Yeah, they're like, "Don't, the don't you play proper bangers, <laughs> boys? So, don't yeah. bang it out that. <laughs> like, chill it down." So it was a bit um, weird. Instruction. Yeah, it was, weird. It was yeah. bizarre. Like trying to play a set to not make people dance. Um, and you can't not you can't help but, but just like play tunes maybe what, that's what we yeah. what we all want to dance but the poor bouncers yeah like because like, they've suddenly got the job of like telling people to stop having a good time yeah never had to do it like that before I streamed you from Williamson Park in your hometown Lancaster in summer 2018 times are good the sun was shining uh, but little did we know what was around the corner just 18 months later the world shut down and the nightlife we took for granted wasn't available to us anymore how does it feel to be looking ahead to a summer full of plans and gigs? Is it a prolific summer for Bondax and what do you have planned? It's, it's quite, quite a chilled summer. We've been yeah. doing lots of writing and like we've yeah, we've just got lots of we've got loads of new music we're excited about and we've got lots yeah. more to make together. But yeah, it's it's a bit transitional for us because we made all this music yeah. and then we were expecting to put it out in twenty twenty. And then obviously everything happened. So the label management, everyone just basically said, delay it. So we didn't really do that much during lockdown, did we? No, we were just kind of writing, working on different we, things. We worked on side projects, uh, production for other people, 
different bits and bobs and then sort of moved back to Bondax like the end of last year. So finally, a tune came out yesterday that we had for three years yeah. or something. Made it, so made it every, everything's sort of pandemic. been delayed. So it's all starting to pick back up. We've got offered to go to a few different places now. But it hasn't been like the doors opened and we've just flooded back in because there was no music, you know. So um, yeah. so yeah, we've been getting back to it and then we're going to continue. We've got more, we've probably got another like three, four releases that will come out this year and then we're going to get back in. And yeah, You're here with a lineup of incredible DJs and you've always affirmed the talent around you, both in the studio and in the club. And for yourselves, I've personally discovered vocalists, producers, and musicians that have gone on to enjoy and follow closely. Obviously, you're a duo that bounces off each other and collaboration is something that is central to your work. How did you identify the right artists for your projects? Because you never seem to miss. I don't really know. Well, I think we, we just, we always just ha like go on the honest thing of like, do we, do we really like them, the artists? I mean, do we want, do we think they'd fit with our music? Totally agree, but also you haven't heard all the other ones that we tried and didn't work. So that's true. It's kind of like yeah. it's one of those where <laughs> it's, it's a good like, point. you know, we have worked with a lot of people who were really good as well. You know, like yeah. amazingly talented people. But sometimes the combination. Well, yeah, we couldn't we couldn't get the best out of them. So essentially, the people that end up on the records are the ones that we can get the best out of, or they get the best out of yeah. us. So. Um, you know, that's basically how it ends up. And, and most of the time that ends up in friendship and like, you know, we tend to work again, don't we? Yeah, so. I mean, that's gonna say, yeah, frequent collaborators, it's, it's really nice because you just, you, you know where you stand with people, it's comfortable yeah. and it's like, yeah. you can, I feel like really important in the creative process is being able to say, no, nah, let's not do that, let's do this and, yeah. and be okay with it. And it's, but when you first that's met someone thing, yeah. and it's like, and they're like, do you wanna do this? And I'm thinking, no, I don't like that, but it's hard to say that. And they, same with them and me, like if I'm playing these chords and they're, they're not liking this half, then to be like, that's pretty, not very good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we've made a lot of music where we were pandering to them, where it was kind of like, we were respecting them too much. And also we, you know, in the end, the biggest thing when we were working with Sony and doing that kind of music was, you had a day to get to know someone, mm. make a tune, blah, 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 get it out, make sure it's a hit yeah and we were just like we can't we actually can't do it so yeah. we started spending like a week with someone we didn't enjoy basically go times. out for pints on the first day just like yeah chill out yeah, and then play each other music and know, like chat about yeah. what you like and stuff just but, get to know them. and like the weird thing was we'd keep doing that for months like well, this was a long time ago but we were doing it every day a new session and then we'd start it sometimes we start it at like 90 bpm and we'd be like let's make a one like gold again a slow one and yeah. every day, by the end of the day, it would end up as a house tune. And we were like, how is this happening? Yeah. Like, we don't want to make house yeah. tune right now. And then it found out that the writers were getting briefed by the label. Yeah. And they were like, before, not telling us and then going like, this is how, you, this is what you want you to make. Make yeah. Latch by Disclosure, make that. Yeah, as, as said earlier, Gold was my introduction to you. And since then, I followed your work closely. I wouldn't be the first to describe your music as genre transcending, because that is exactly what it is. When it comes time to sit down and get to work on a new project, uh, where do you start? Do you like generate? Do you uh, generate mood boards together? Are there individual ideas that you bring into the room and then merge together, or is it just blank canvas? I mean, it's, it's hard. I mean, I, I, that. I mean, the easy answer is it's different every time, and that is true. Mm. But 
I'd also say that we do have like things we stick to, like a lot of the time it's just me and George in the studio together. That's a lot of the time where it comes like we start that. But there's also been many a time George has sent me an idea, I've sent him an idea, and mm. we've bounced off that. But I don't know, it's always different, isn't it? Song to song. It depends as well because the album was like totally different. You yeah. Know, we worked on that, we booked an Airbnb, we went back up north, and we just kind of just got like all the pots and pans out the house and like all the weird stuff we found on the beach that was near to where we were staying. <laughs> yeah. And just ca came in and we were like, right, we're just going to sample everything and just see what happens. And we were like putting different amounts of water in, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, things and getting like the tone yeah, out of it. That and was then, so fun. and we did all that and we were like, this is, you know, this is amazing. And then no one knows about it. So it was like the next one, it was just like sample the sound, you know. So it's from one to the next, it changes. It changes Sometimes yeah. it's worth going into like the detail of it. And yeah. often when you do that, it's like you're trying to represent something, you know, like you're trying to represent that place, what's going on there. I think our early music, we were constantly like recording Foley sounds and stuff like trying to get our home into the tracks. If someone was to listen purely to your productions, especially like early Bond acts, pre-2016, it might seem hard to imagine it translating into a DJ set. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, you seem to switch between the lanes of producers and DJs with such fluidity. How close to the front are your mind as a dancer when you're in studio mo mode, or are you uh, more aligned with the more cerebral and experimental realms? I'd, um, I'd say well, I'd say we're more we we probably think about it maybe a little bit more like over the past few years kind of out of uh, the album we weren't thinking about that at all it was no. just like let's just make whatever beautiful thing that we can think of like the most beautiful thing we can think of basically just experiment yeah. and then after that quite a lot of followed it has been more club centric basically because of what you said because we were kind of a weird act because we'd make of this chilled stuff that when we'd be like, oh, we can't really play this in a DJ yeah. set. So we wouldn't play that much. Of our, we've never played loads of our own music mm. in DJ sets. And uh, and we kind of wanted to do that a bit more, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was weird because our taste of what we like when we DJ, I think, uh, I think I'm right in saying this, is not what we make, which is a kind of weird sort of, and we often find ourselves like trying to balance that. Mm. And find it a bit difficult because we're like we want to play exclusive music our own music so quite often what we did before was make edits of tunes and then we didn't tell anyone we haven't given them to anyone we just did it for us and then yeah it made our sets hopefully unique and like you might know the tune but it was like a slightly different version of it and stuff. yeah and then in 2018 we were like let's just make some club tunes, weren't we? Yeah. So, and then the so club the latest shot. ones, kind of <laughs> are, yeah. And then the club shot when it was meant to come out. So, yeah, perfect, yeah. David. Yeah, killed it. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday, you dropped a new track, Fade, featuring Hungarian singer Shells. It's the second track you've released this year, following Only Have You, which featured the unmistakable vocals of Vibio Sound Machines. Eno Williams. Fade is the second time you've worked with Shells, though. She featured on your track, What You Do, on your LP, Revolve. What is it about Shells that makes her a good go-to conduit for you? What's special about this collaboration in particular? Yeah, well, she's a lovely person. I mean, one of the best people we know yeah, in the music so industry. Sad. 
She, um, we found her because we were working sort of in this intensive sort of label um, constricted period of time. We were throwing different vocalists every day and she came in and she stood out like everyone else was great, but they were working to a particular formula. She came in and she was really open. So and she open was minded. just like, yeah, let's do whatever. So we made sort of a bit of a pop tune and we all agreed like, this is, you know, this is not right. Then we started a tune that was like really delicate and everything like bells and foley sounds and stuff, which in the end became a bit too sort of, didn't really have it. But we always kept in touch after that because it felt like we kind of broke into a different space with her. Mm. Where we, it felt like we were going back to the reason why we wanted, why we made music in our bedrooms, and yeah. why we like began doing, you know, started doing this in yeah. the first place. And yeah, and then she's she's always kept in touch with us, and yeah. she's um, yeah, she's just always there for us. Yeah. We're there for her. Yeah. And so yeah. it's easy. It's, e it's, a, it's an easy yeah. choice. A deadly combination of very talented and very sound. Yeah. A beautiful voice. Very beautiful voice. Yeah, amazing voice. Yeah, and cool. amazing writer as well. She's a really good writer. Yeah. And, and, and you don't have to re-record ever re-record. Yeah. It's yeah. just like... Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When we were listening through to the stems of Fade, like, the other day, and, like, the vocal BDs is, like, perfect. There's no, yeah. like, you know, sometimes you start a little bit early, you end a little bit after. It was, like, dead on. And I was like, yeah. whoa. She's yeah. good. <laughs> She's yeah. really good. So we've had these two tracks drop this year and you released some original tracks last year um, alongside some remixes. But we haven't seen anything in the way of a longer format release from Bondats since 2018's Revolve. Do you have one on the card somewhere later in the year or is it just singles for a minute? I think the, the honest answer is we don't know really what the next project was going to turn out like. So it's hard to say anything for definite, but there'll definitely be lots more music coming. Yeah, I think yeah we we've got music. Yeah, we've got out. music coming out, but it's um, not an album. It's not, it's this not a this body this. Of work, well, I mean, you could listen to them together, and I think they'll work and stuff. But it's not like specifically revolvers. Like we were like, how do we fit these tunes together really well? They flow into one another. There's like a concept behind it and whatnot. This is just kind of like a collection of tunes that we're releasing, yeah. and maybe we don't really know what the like twenty twenty three. The, the thing is, thing will be. the thing is, we made a concept album, as it were, um, in that it was a day and it was meant to go across the day. But when you do that, you, you sort of realize there's loads of tunes now. If you bought the album, it would make sense, but on Spotify, it's like, yeah. you know, there are tunes that are just like a minute of strings or something. No one really listens to that on Spotify and stuff anymore. So it was for us in a way, it was kind of selfish. We always wanted to make an album it was, that way. Um, but that's always kind of what we always kind of made that we made that conscious decision together, didn't we? After the whole Sony debacle, we were like, whatever we make, we want it to be like, just we like it. Yeah, and yeah. then no matter what, we like it. So you may not, that's fine, but we do, so it's sound. I'm not yeah. like, you know what I mean? You make it for the right reasons. I feel like that's the main thing. There's a nice continuity to your work, but you also know how to reinvent your sound without compromising your identity and core sound. With your future material, what can we expect and anything that we can tease? Yay. It's always hard talking about like names, genres, and styles and whatnot. But I think we're the album was like a, the combination of the electronic and the acoustic. Really, that was kind yeah. of it. We had an orchestra on it, and 
like brass players and grand, real pianos and you know all sorts of like acoustic instruments with the electronic and I feel like moving forward the next stuff is, is more just electronic just me and George having fun in the studio just basically just me and George a lot of it and whoever if the vocalist is whereas the album was a lot more collaboration but yeah. this is a bit more electronic folk club centric I would say yeah yeah I don't think we broke away from doing anything below 118 no and we kind of consciously made that decision to be like we're going to keep it fast so we can play it out and yeah then um, but it doesn't mean that it's like made for the club, does it? No, I mean, it's, it's, I say it's hard to say club centric. It's like, I think we always say, don't we, our favourite electronic tunes is something like a classic, like the Lovebirds Want You My Soul tune, where yeah. it's like that song is amazing in the club, but it's also like you're on a train anyway, you've got the headphones on mm -hmm. and you want to listen to it. So like we're always trying to hit that. Yeah, yeah. But I think this one, I think like the Abibio tune, we really wanted to make like, sorry, the Eno Williams tune, we really wanted to make like a big house banger tune. You yeah. know what I mean? That was like, we deliberately made that to be a party. Like we wanted to be in the club. Yeah, yeah. Our musical guest today is as versatile as they come. She came up as a broadcaster and host for Drum and Bass Arena's TV weekly show, later hosting her own primetime show on Kiss FM for close to a decade. She's emerged as a trusted connoisseur of club skewing sounds, DJing around the world with high octane sets that retain a sense of humanity and soulfulness in between the thrill of bass lines. No shortage of superlatives for this guest who amidst her own glowing solo achievements has an ethos rooted in unearthing hidden gems and endorsing incipient musicians. Welcome Charlie T to Overtones. Hello, thank you. What an intro that was. That's the best intro I've ever had. That was beautiful. You know what? I, I'm good at writing intros. Yeah, you really are. <laughs> That's your thing for sure. Um, a nice primer and accompaniment to this conversation we're about to have is your involvement or was your involvement in our DJ series. It's created in partnership with Pioneer DJ called For The Love Of It. So that's available to view on our YouTube channel. So you provided a right for the summer mix, shared your journey, and we'll touch on your career as a DJ shortly. But I wanted to start with your broadcasting career. It's a world I've stepped into recently. So from where did that calling come to be in a position where you're championing and disseminating the music of rising artists in the electronic world? So I think the simplest way to kind of describe where it came from, just be my, my love and lifelong passion for music. It's something that's just so innate and just feels so visceral. Playing music out to people is just something that I've, yeah, I just, it's just something I've always wanted to do. Um, when I decided that I wanted to be a broadcaster, though, the, I think the pivotal moment that I always tell people in this story was when I was doing a season in Ibiza and I was up a mountain. I was at an after party. It was a Zoo Project after party. We're on the top of a hill. I sat with my best mate, Frenchie, and I knew I loved electronic dance music. I'd been doing a season in Ibiza. Um, I loved everything from house and techno all the way through to drum and bass and jungle. And I just kind of didn't really know what I was doing with my life. I'd done uni and didn't really know what the next step was. We had that moment where like the sun's coming up and you know we're chatting nonsense. And I'm just like, what am I going to do with my life? And he's like, well you're really knowledgeable and passionate about electronic music and you don't shut up. So <laughs> whatever that job is, that should be your job. That's it. That's, That's your it. calling. That's your job. And he was like, radio, broadcasting, that should be your job. So, yeah, that's kind of where the where the spark started. And then when I got home, I just I actually Googled how to become a music broadcaster, as sad as it is. 
Um, and then, yeah, I entered the competition for DMV TV, Drum Bass Arena's weekly show. And that's kind of where my presenting music journalist story started. Mm. As a broadcaster, you have to try and develop your own conversational style. So your own personality, your own imprint. It's a very saturated world. So how would you describe your approach to presenting and hosting? That is a very good question. Um, well, I would like to think that my approach is kind of a mixture of a few a few different styles. It's kind of a fusion of daytime broadcasting with mm. specialist knowledge and understanding. Um, and I like to think it's a bit journalistic as well. You know, if I'm playing a record on the radio, I'm not just telling you why you should be listening to that record, what's good about the artist, but the elements within the record. Talking, stripping it apart, talking about the bass lines or the emotion behind a record, why I think, how I interpret that record and why it's been written and where it lives in a dance floor, you know, on a dance floor, um, whether it's a contemplative track you're listening to in your own, in your bedroom. Um, yeah, just taking it a little bit, taking the record a little bit deeper, but also with an entertainment factor to it as well. I'm not, it's not just like, here's a beautiful record and Marianne Hobbs style. It's also going to be like, okay, and you listen to this with your mates on the way to Ibiza, you know, it's, um, it's about fusing all of those styles together, I think, something that Annie Mack does really, really well. She's, you know, one of my radio idols. Mm. What advice would you impart to people venturing into specialty broadcasting for niche sounds? So how, how do you stand up from the crowd yeah. and retain a sense of individuality? I think if your passion for the music is truly authentic and genuine, that will shine through. Um, my advice to people coming up in that world is do do what feels right for you and be true to what you really love. Don't do what you think people want to see or hear um, because working in music, hopefully, if you have a career with longevity, you're going to be showcasing that music for a long time. And if you don't feel, true. If, it's not, if it's not something you truly love or it isn't a genre you are truly passionate about to the core, um, then it's going to get tiring very, very quickly. So yeah, I'd say just be true to yourself and what you love and the music you love. And if that is something that hasn't been done before, it might feel a bit harder. I'm a multi-genre DJ. Um, I play house of techno, I play drum and bass. Mm. I also showcase this on the radio. It's something that hasn't really been done before, particularly by a woman. Um, so many times people told me to, you know, stick to my lane, choose a genre, choose choose a, a, a group from house of techno or drum and bass. And it was harder and I didn't, but the only thing that's kept me going this long is because I'm so passionate about it all. And if I'd chosen something that I wasn't as passionate about, I I don't think I'd probably still be doing this now. I wouldn't be here. Sage advice. Um, going back to the formative years of your career. Mm -hmm. So at the beginning, which DJs, producers left a mark on you and influenced you, I guess, to tra transition into bass music, into, into that world? Mm. I read Scream being yeah. a big influence. Scream definitely was a big influence for me personally. I just, I love watching him transition from a kind of dubstep DJ into a house, now a, a house, mm. predominantly a house and techno artist. He'll still go back and do like dubstep sets and baseline sets. And I've even seen him playing like funky house and garage sets and stuff that he's done. Um, yeah, for me, he's just someone that is just, you know, it's like a, <laughs> I can swear I'm just oh, can't I yeah <laughs> he's just he's just a, swear he's a zero fucks DJ he's he just does what he truly feels he expresses himself fully through music if he turns up and he feels a certain type of way before a set you really see that come out in his DJ set um and yeah he's just he just for me that is the way that music should be should be in conveying music that way is 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 the way DJing should be in its in its truest form so 
yeah, Scream, I think. Like, B Traits was one of my biggest influences because she was the first female I saw doing that DJing mm. and made me realise that there was space for someone like me in the scene. Um, DJs that I love now, Alan Fitzpatrick's another favourite. For me personally, Eats Everything is someone that does just transition very nicely and kind of meanders in and out of the genres. Um, there's some amazing DJs. I really like Ricardo Villalobos. His his sets are always so surprising. Um, there's loads. I think, you I, you know, you pick a genre, I can pick like 20. I could literally sit here all day talking about it. But You're yeah, an expert. This, I, I just, I, yeah, I, I, there's so many amazing DJs. Um, yeah, like I said, Alan, Alan Fitzpatrick is a babe. Charlie, you performed all around the world as a DJ. So can you pinpoint a pivotal moment in your DJing career where there was a palpable sense of, okay, I've made it. I'm commanding a crowd. I'm getting all this feedback. I've arrived. Oh my God. What a question. Um, do you know what? I don't, <laughs> I'm trying to think of like the, I don't, I don't think I've had the moment yet. If I'm really honest, I'm, really lucky I'm getting to play uh, places like Tomorrowland and Glastonbury this year for the first time. Um, and I just played Radio 1's Big Weekend. I don't think I felt the sense of I've ar arrived fully at my destination yet because I feel like the work is sort of just beginning for me. Okay. Um, that moment hopefully will happen this summer and I'll be mm -hmm. able to give you a different answer at the end of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've had some really great standout sets and I think for me personally, some of my favourite sets haven't been in front of big crowds. They've been in front of intimate. smaller intimate in smaller intimate venues where the crowd's been really engaging. Um, off the top of my head, let me try and think of one. Uh, I tell you what, uh, a really pivotal moment recently was when I played Ministry of Sound and it was the first proper rave back after lockdown. And it's the first time that we were allowed to properly like have a Congregate. club have a club yeah. full to the brim where there's no social distancing half capacity and the energy was electric and i remember i had to i was opening the room and i had to start 15 minutes early because the crowds were so big outside and that was a real moment of oh my gosh dance music is back and it's here to stay and after everything we've lost you know we, yeah we're allowed to rave in our full capacity again that was a special moment Sort of contrasting with that, we've seen how electronic music can at times be quite elitist mm -hmm. and rigid. In your experience, have there been times where you felt that the pushback from like purists mm -hmm. and traditionalists um, maybe made to not feel welcome? That's a really good question. And something, if you spend a lot of time on Twitter, like I sadly, ashamedly do, oh um, you will see a lot of that around. Um, I think this is one of the reasons why I love Scream as an artist, actually. There was there was a video that was going viral recently of a DJ. I won't name names. Um, but no, she, we need to name drop now. I'm joking. I, <laughs> no, I don't do that. <laughs> but she was doing this thing where she was kind of waving her arms like in front of the crowd and she was waving them from left to right, like really slowly. And the crowd were copying her in unison. And loads of like purist DJs were kind of slagging her off and saying like, oh, this isn't what music's about. This is what DJ's about. This is just, you know, this is, this is a clickbait viewer situation online. And... You know, lots of people trying to do like, actually, do they look like they're enjoying themselves to the music? Do they all look like they're having a good time? Isn't that the point? Isn't that the point of music? So, yeah, I think I think as long as people are having a good time to the music, it's subjective mm. in the same way that we all have our different views on the type of music we love. Um, I think I think, yeah, it, sh it should be subjective to the person. There's I don't think there should be a hierarchy that decide what music is, you know, the right music to listen to. We, you know, we shouldn't be listening to this. I think. 
as music is so beautifully eclectic and, and uh, eclectic and subjective that yeah, it should be down to the person making the music and the people that are consuming it. Basically, be gone with the gatekeepers. Yes, I reckon so. What's wonderful about having you on right now is you're in the midst of some really exciting ventures and personal milestones. One of which is you fronting your own Radio One drum and bass show, making you the first woman ever to occupy that space. Mm -hmm. So this is a prime time slot, uh, Saturday nights from September 2022. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. Tell us about the moment you got that call. Oh my gosh, it was such a blur actually. Um, so I found out a couple of days before it was announced, well, I, I was asked to do the show because it's all very hush-hush. And um, I don't think, I, to be honest with you, I still don't think the magnitude of it has hit me because until I did Radio One's Big Weekend last weekend, until I've started the show, everyone's been saying, oh, yeah, yeah, how do you feel? I'm like, oh, I'm not actually, you know, I've not started the show yet. But I think the thing that's been quite beautiful is the amount of female identifying individuals and non-binary people that have hit me up and kind of said, this is really important. And the fact that you are doing this is so inspiring to our community. And, you know, there's so many women throughout the scene as well in drum and bass, particularly in the lockdown. I, I will always try and elevate women in whatever capacity I can with whatever I do. And um, yeah, for me, obviously, it, I, I was so excited, but I don't think I realized the gravitas of the situation until people start messaging me, like, what you're doing is really important. And actually, you will be the first one. And that means for generations to come, there will be more women following. So yeah, so really excited. Um, I'm not taking this position lightly. I, 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 feel, I feel the weight of the importance of it all. And I'm, I mean, I'm, are, you know, in, are you in the throes of planning? Like, what can we expect? So I'm not allowed to talk about it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, we there's a, there's a there's a few changes. Um, yeah, I'm not allowed to talk about any of the features and stuff yet. That's yeah. not that's not kind fair of enough, open to talk about. I mean, but, um, in which ways will your primetime show differ from what came before? What can you tease? So so obviously it was on a Monday night before when Rene did it. It's going to be 11 p.m. till 1 a.m. on a Saturday night into the Sunday morning. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just the fact that it's, it's it's hailed as a prime time slot. It's the first time drum and bass has ever been on that weekend lineup, the Radio 1 Dance Family lineup in that way. I think drum and bass at the moment is going through this really unique shift again where, you know, it's being playlisted um, and we've got tracks in the, hitting the charts. And these are tracks that haven't even been heavily, you know, plugged to radio. If people don't know what that means when... Uh, when a track gets signed by a label, they you, you pay a plugger to take it to the radio to to get it known, and then and then it will get playlisted or played by DJs on the radio, and then eventually as it as it picks up more traction, it it, it might you might end up in the charts. Mm. Drum and bass at the moment is having such a moment where tracks are being released by labels, not heavily pushed or had lots of money pumped into them, and they're still making it into the charts, which mm. just shows that the community is growing and drum and bass is having a real moment right now. And it's yeah, it's it's a really exciting time to see that community and to see that love for drum and bass and to see it grow to a point where they've gone, we need to have drum and bass on a weekend. Like it's that, it's, it's hailed, it's that, important. it's that important again, which for me, obviously it's always been that important, but yeah. it's really nice to see, you know, other stations and other genres of music, you know, respect drum and bass like that. You've recently also started your own record label called Total. Yeah. What prompted you to begin this venture What's the most exciting part about running a label? So, I've always wanted to run a record label. That's always something I've kind of had in the locker. Um, but it had, for me, I had to wait for kind of the right moment. There had to be a reason for me to put music out. I didn't want to just put records out for no reason. 
Um, and then the pandemic came and I really started to think about dance music and the way we consumed it and start to think about us consuming it outside of the dance floor because typically people associate dance music with clubs and clubs only. Mm. But when the pandemic came and all the clubs were shut, people were still reaching for dance music, watching streams online. It's, it became this this amazing universal language that we kind of all spoke to each other and it got us all through. It was a really special thing. Um, and to be honest, in dance music, we didn't know what was going to happen in the pandemic. We, For all we knew, that could have been the end of it. People might just have stopped consuming it. But something really beautiful happened and we consumed it more than we ever had before. And um, I just decided that I wanted to put out a record label that put out standout tracks, tracks that really viscerally made you feel something. Um, and for me personally, those tracks aren't constrained to a particular genre, multi-genre, that's, that's the records I play out, records I choose, I choose for a feeling that it evokes when I listen to it. So I just wanted to put out records that made me feel that way. Um, the first record doesn't really didn't really sit in a box. The second record that's coming out Friday, the 10th June, um, it also doesn't really fit in a box. It's not quite house, not quite techno. It's very emotive. Um, yeah, I just wanted to put out music that made me feel, I guess, and just mm. kind of rekindle that love for feeling focused dance music. So we have some DMB heads in the Clash team. I'm going to field you a few <laughs> questions nice. from them. Uh, well, as someone well versed on the intricacies of you know this style of music, I'm intrigued to hear your response. How do you think the resurgence of DMB? has been impacted by social media. So this question specifically referenced artists like Finey, yeah, who had his remix of Stormzy's Wiley Flow yeah. go viral on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's quite a few of these, like like we mentioned about uh, tracks going viral via TikTok. So Vibe Chemistry Ballin is one that made it into the charts off the mm. back of like TikTok. There's a really cool remix that I'm playing at the moment lows in my sets um, by James, I think it's Hirath, how you say it, but it's his remix of Disco Lines. Um, yeah, I think I think it's it's brought it's it's. I don't want to say social media has been solely responsible for the resurgence of drum bass because well, obviously it hasn't. But I think it's definitely helped facilitate it. Yeah. Um, TikTok still baffles me. It's something I'm still learning <laughs> lots about, and I use it <laughs> me a lot. Too. Yeah. Um, but it's obviously working because okay, for example, Vibe Chemistry Ballin that came out a year ago, and the record was you know hailed in the underground. Lots of DJs were playing it but it suddenly hit the charts once it was being played lots on TikTok. So you, it's hard not to make that comparison and that parallel between them. So whilst I don't think it's solely responsible for, for the drum bass resurgence, that's something that's definitely happening in the new generation and as the community's growing, it's definitely helped to facilitate it. As much as I hate to admit it, we, it's, it it's true, it has, yeah. How does the DMB scene of the UK compare to that of other countries? Do you think we as a nation have more or less connection to our roots and jungle and drummer bass? Well, we created it. So I'd like True. to think we've got we have <laughs> we've the, the claim. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, I think depending on where you're listening to drum bass in the world, there's lots of different scenes and communities. Like you go to Europe and it's kind of more neurofunky here. We are very kind of, we've got more like, hip-hop influences in, you know, like jungle comes from like raga and reggae and breaks and everything kind of fused together. So yeah, I think obviously our roots are the strongest. I, the UK sound for me is, the, for me personally, the most authentic drum bass sound. But I do love the way it's been reinterpreted in other countries. So I like, I, I enjoy the neurofunk sound. I do totally get why people like it and have interpreted drum bass in that way. 
music is just a fusion of cultures mm. and people have taken sounds from drum and bass and fused it with their own cultural sounds in Europe, in America. That's why it sounds slightly different. And um, yeah, I think each offer a unique offering. For me, the UK sound is... The it, it will, yeah, it always will. <laughs> I just, it's just something I resonate with the most. I like playing UK style techno and house. And I think, again house and techno differs wherever you go american house and techno is completely different to uk house and techno mm. european house and techno completely different you know we share they, they share you know certain sounds but yeah i think uh i think the uk for sure for me uh we're in the midst of festival season where can we see you what do you have lined up okay so uh tomorrowland is a bit of an exciting show i'm doing obviously glastonbury the end of this month i'm Playing in Ibiza for the first time this summer, which is really exciting. Ooh. I can't say where yet, though. Um, doing Electric Woodlands. What else have I got? Leopalooza, uh, NAS Festival, Boardmasters Festival, Boomtown. They're just the ones off the top of my head. I well, you're everywhere. <laughs> I'm doing quite a few this year. I'm doing quite a few, like, two shows in a day this year, like planes, trains, and automobiles, so that's going to be fun. I mean, how do you navigate that when you're doing multiple shows in a space of, I guess, hours or days? Like, how do you compartmentalise? Mm. Um, for me personally, I function better when I'm stricter with myself, so I'm a bit of a health freak, so I don't, I personally can't drink in the week if I've got a busy weekend of shows like that. Mm. Um, yeah, I just have to take better better care of myself i'm a bit boring like if i'm doing two shows i probably will have one drink on the first show and then head to the next one maybe not drink the first show just because i've got to have my brain switched on um but yeah i i love it like for me i don't have to have to have the party lifestyle to go along with raving and djing i'm quite happy listening to techno sober at home in my bedroom mm. you know like i don't have to it doesn't i don't have to have the party element to the music it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't they're not mutually exclusive for me i can listen to techno when i'm sober at home drinking a cup of tea mm. you know where can we find you on socials charlie at charlie t-e-e-d-j everywhere thank you charlie it's been a joy to have you on thank you so much for having me that was fun we've reached the conclusion of the show thank you to charlie t bondax and louis for joining us in conversation just a reminder, a new issue of Clash is on newsstands. You can also order from the Clash shop and get all the interviews and features directly on your phone with our digital reader. Hit up our socials at Clash Magazine for all the latest features, video content and more. I'll be back shortly as your conduit to all things Clash for episode four. Signing out. <laughs>